You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. Today we get to meet Keeve Huffman, co-founder of Engager Brands. He started his career in the music industry, and as cannabis was legalizing in California, he recognized the opportunity to combine his connections and talents in music to start a business in the emerging cannabis industry. Keeve shares his methodology for building brands that target heavy metal music fans and other niche markets. Learn how his team decides on a viable niche audience to target and the multi-layered approach they take to build a brand around it. So many brands are going after the same audience, not engage your brands. Let's meet Keith. Hi. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, oh, actually, uh, how I found you, well, I heard you um, on another podcast, and mm-hmm. you inspired me to write an article about uh, targeting heavy metal bands as a, as a target market in the cannabis industry. But uh, so then somewhere you popped up on my radar and I thought, oh, I just want to hear how you developed the Engager brands. I just th- thought it was kind of brilliant that you tapped into that. And I, and I know you have a big uh, background in music and that you married the two. Um, what led you to start Engager brands? So it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a roundabout way that I got there. So, um, so where I, I left the music industry back in the earth, like from 2005 from, I worked in the industry, in the music industry when I lived in New York, came out here to LA to pursue more entrepreneurial pursuits in sort of mobile Mm -hmm. and video games and a bunch of different things. I ended up running an agency and I was sitting around with a bunch of people and we, we kind of were like, what's going to be the next big thing? And we all said weed. And we're like, well, what does that really mean? And so three of us cre- created a company called Prohibited Media. And we were one of the first kind of media companies that was focused on creating professional broadcast quality video content for the cannabis industry. Uh, we had a website and then we ended up having an agency. And while we were at the agency, we just started to be able to see sort of how brands were being created, where there were, you know, where there were holes, where there were opportunities. And that's actually where we originally incubated um, Heavy Grass, which is the hard rock heavy metal uh, brand that I now have as part of Engager Brands. Uh, so that, that was sort of the, the beginnings of it. And then um, we ended up getting kind of caught in the in the 2019 you know crash of the canadian public markets that happened um and a bunch of funding that we had uh secured uh ended up not coming in so we had to do some rewards so the three founders you know we had a good six-year run at prohibited um but the three of us kind of split to do our own separate things and my I, I was able to say, okay, where do I really want to focus? And for me, it's like, you know, I, I love music and I love brands, building brands. And I see the opportunity here in cannabis where to this day, still really brands aren't really being created in a way that I feel are 
you know, kind of built for the long run, you know, and built, you know, from a, from a perspective of, you know, kind of taking that, that target audience first and then building backwards from there. Right. Because that's what I got to see when I was like, wait a minute, is like, you know, people would come in with these full product lines, fully realized and say, oh, we need a brand now. And it was like completely, you know, the, opposite way that you would typically create a brand right which is like you would first kind of start with like okay who are we trying to reach what is the brand and then what products make sense for that for that audience and so when i spun off to do engager that's the approach that we take so we focus on audiences that we feel there's an opportunity to reach that really doesn't have a, a brand or brand speaking to them and create brands for that audience and then work with trusted partners to bring products to market that, you know, uh, speak to that audience. Right. And so I guess when you were out in California, um, you were out there in the early days as opposed to being over here on the East Coast. It wasn't an industry. You know, you guys were already in it and doing it and it was legal. So people were already creating all of those brands. But I, I guess a lot of people do that um, is to create the, the product first and the brand and then figure out who your target audience is. Um, I think I feel like that's what a lot of people do. Um, and I've created my own brands outside of cannabis, and that's how I've done it, too. But I love the reverse of finding a niche market where people aren't really there yet and uh creating a brand for that it's 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 really really great so um what is your r d strategy when you're probably thinking to extend expand into the next niche and how do you i I guess you kind of say you you think about the the niche you're hitting first and then the type of product that they would like and are you thinking of a specific demographic that you want to go after next or so our second brand that we were just now launching is a brand called Neon Roots. And that's focused on the, the electronic dance music scene uh, and the rave scene. And how we came about, and really kind of how we originally came up with uh, the approach for Heavy Grass. And we've got a number of other uh, brands that we have in development. We take a kind of a multi-layered approach. First of all, we take a look at okay, um, where is where is an audience that we feel um, is that's being underserved right now? Like for, there is no cannabis brand that speaks to that audience. So that's first first of all what we're looking at because that's just white space, right? That's just like oh okay, there's so many cannabis brands going after the same audience right now that is like, okay, let's figure out where there's the opportunity. So that, that would be first and foremost. Then we take a look at, okay, what is the, um, what's the addressable market, you know, size, like how big is that audience? And, um, and then as part of that, we also look at, okay, for this particular target audience and part of how we assess how big it is, is, you know, what are the consumption patterns, you know, what is the, you know, do, does this target audience over index in cannabis consumption? And so when you kind of layer all those things on top of each other, it becomes pretty clear. It's like, oh, wait a minute. There's a, there's a big opportunity, you know, here and here and here. And, and, and I would say like, there are still, I mean, 
we've got literally over a dozen of these kind of lined up. Uh, we're, not, we're not staffed up or, or funded to be able to go after all of them, but, you know, and they're not all music. Um, but mm. for me, music was just the easiest way to start because of my background. You know, I have a lot of connections in the music industry and my business partner um, on these initial brands is uh, someone who's one of the lead music buyers at one of the biggest uh, agencies in the world. So we have access to concerts and festivals and artists. Oh. So that's the other aspect of it too, is that we look at, okay, can we get access to this audience in a way that is somewhat defensible, right? Where we can actually be the only cannabis brand at a festival that's marketing to this audience or at a concert. And through, um, through my relationships, uh, we are able to do that. And we're also able to work with certain artists, you know, that are truly authentic. And rather than building kind of full on celebrity brands, we do collabs, right? So we're building the umbrella brand that is really the, um, you know, the overarching brand that's focused on that audience. And then we'll bring in an artist to do um, kind of an offshoot of that, but it's part of the overarching brand. Um, so yeah, th that's the way we kind of take a look, look at things right now. And um, it, that's interesting. There's not really a lot of other companies that I know of that are taking the same approach. No, I, I'm not at all. I look at a lot of companies all the time. And I think most people take the approach of, okay, well, we're going to be the sports brand in the cannabis, you know, for the sports people, or we're going to target the, you know, the golfers, or, you know, most people take that kind of approach, but not niche audience. I mean, those are niche audiences, but I just feel like most people take that approach, not the music, you know, like you are, you're really niching down. Is there other criteria on which one to go for the rave that you're doing? How did, you know? Well, that came about, uh, that's where the access piece comes in because um, if we, if I have someone that I can work with that I, that I know and trust, um, that we can, that is going to allow me to have access to that audience, um, I'll go for that particular genre earlier than another one where, for instance, I don't really have a lot of strong connections in the country music scene, right? It's actually, a, there's a big opportunity there, I believe. Um, yeah. However, uh, you know, that's just not where, you know, my connections are. So I've got, I'm working with um, a colleague that I've known ever since my days working in the music industry in New York, where um, he's a big, uh, producer and A&R guy and manager of, of, of a bunch of different, you know, uh, EDM uh, acts. And so again, we're able to kind of get access to these raves. And so that, that, that's, that's kind of when you, when you start to put, you know, I mentioned like, okay, we've got like dozens of opportunities. Well, it's like, where's the low hanging fruit, right? Like, where is it easiest for us to kind of get into market? And so that's, that was an element uh, that kind of helped drive uh, Neon Roots becoming the next brand. And how, you were mentioning, how do you work with um, tie-in uh, uh, celebrities or bands or 
you build the brand first, but you said you'll bring in some celebrities to support it or work with them. How do, how do you work with them? Are they, are, is it, are you considering them influencers or? Yeah, so we're, the first one we've done is we worked with this artist named Clown. He's the creative force behind this band Slipknot, which is, you know, multi-platinum headliner band uh, in the metal scene. Probably the second biggest headliner band out there behind Metallica. Um, a lot of people in the mainstream haven't really heard of them because they're pretty hard and pretty heavy. Um, but but they're um, but they're su super credible, and so um, Clown came to us through our connections, and um, so we did a collab. So it's called Clown Cannabis. Um, it's a collab with Heavy Grass, and um, and so he's you know I look at more almost like as like a, a brand ambassador, right? Because and he's gone on his own podcast and talked about how much he loves Heavy Grass and how you know it he felt like it was a meeting of the minds when we all kind of came together and so you know that's that's really for us like really important because if we're going to do um a collab with an artist then it has to be authentic because really at the end of the day that's really why we're going to be successful and really at the end of the day any brand's going to be successful is they have to have that authentic connection to their audience and people these days have a pretty good bs you know radar out there and they can tell if you're oh, yes, sort of yes. pandering to them or if you're like you're not truly from that scene and you're really just kind of trying to take advantage of them um, and so that's why we have to be really careful um, with who we work with, you know, on the celebrity side, because not all, not all celebrities and artists within a scene come with equal weight. Like there's some artists that are like, oh yeah, that, that guy will put his name on anything, you know, and, and it's like, he's out there, but, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. he's someone who's done very, very few endorsements of any sort. So it can and so that's another part that we would look at anytime we're going to work with a, with an artist or a celebrity. When you say authentic, do you did he have to kind of approve the the name, the branding? I mean, it's his if it's if it's his brand, so the, his fans would see him in that product. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. So we gave him free reign, um, and in fact, he's this incredibly talented creator. And so he actually designed. That's what they're known for, right? For his product, so you can't get any more authentic than that, right? Because it's like, hey, this was this is his um, his creation, and you know, and it's also when you do things like that, then you get a lot more um, support, you know, from the artist, right? It's 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 less about them just kind of slapping their name and hoping they get a big check. Um, of it it's like oh this is this is my creation you know this is this is and you know um so i think that's really important i mean you know having worked in the music industry uh for so long i saw so many celebrity you know and artist endorsements deals go go wrong you know because it's it's hard because you know artists are creative forces that get easily distracted by the next shiny object. So as much as they may be into something at, at a given time, you know, it's, it's, it's more common than not that they're not going to follow through with all the things that they, you know, that you expect that they're going to do to support the brand. 
And um, that's just kind of the nature of, of it. And so that's another reason why also like I'm, you know, we're, we're not interested in building celebrity only brands. Um, there's very few of those that I feel will ultimately stand the test of time. And I think we're starting to see them, you know, I think Leafs from Snoop, I mean, Snoop is in it to win it, you know, he's like authentic, you know, um, Willie's Reserve, you know, it's like Willie Nelson. Like there's certain artists and celebrities that, you know, just in their core essence, like they are cannabis, you know, enthusiasts. Um, but for a lot of others, you know, and it's also been a fairly, you know, recent development where a lot of these artists were even willing to come out and, and publicly speak about their consumption, right? Um, which is also why I think there's a lot of, you know, hesitancy on that authenticity kind of standpoint is like, well, wait a minute, is this, is this artist really, do they really smoke? And, or, you know, I don't really ever really remember hearing about them, you know, in the, in the, in the cannabis scene. So you've got to be careful there um, because again, it's like, I, we actually know artists that have put their names on cannabis brands that don't consume at all. And they haven't been successful, but it's not surprising because again, at the end of the day, the, the core like audience, they're gonna know. Like they're like, you know what? This there's something not connecting here, and this just feel, feels like a money grab. So marketing to this group is uh, how do you market to metalheads? Is you know it's it they seem different than the average consumer um, because they seem very um, immersed in their whole. It, it's like they live and breathe the brand. They look at they, you know, uh, where 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 are they? Where do you find them? Where, how, yeah, how do you market to them? What is your marketing strategy? So a lot of our marketing strategy is really built around going to where they already are. And that's going to the concerts, going to the festivals. Um, that was extremely challenging last year, um, you know, for oh obvious reasons. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, you know, with, with the pandemic, but things have really opened back up. And, you know, what we find is that, first of all, by going to the concerts, we're not competing with a lot of other cannabis brands, right? Because that's not, you know, a lot of the cannabis brands tend to like kind of market within the same bubble, right? Of like, you know, these, these, these other cannabis events or, you know, and so we're kind of going out there uh, to where they already are. And it's amazing. Like sometimes we'll even go because we sell merch, you know, and t-shirts and apparel. Sometimes we'll even go to concerts or festivals in states that aren't legal. And we will have the longest line of the entire festival because people are so intrigued and we will literally have people coming up so emotional saying, I've been waiting for this, finally a brand that speaks to me, you know, that, and so that's when we know we've really, you know, kind of tapped into something. So, so yes, so for marketing, really experiential live events is a huge part of, of our, our strategy. And then social is a lot of what we do as well. So, but you can't sell there, right? You, you can sell your product? So we sell, when we, when we go to those states, we sell our, um, our merchandise and accessories that are, you know, t-shirts, hats, hoodies, um, you know, and then depending on the state or depending on the venue, 
sometimes we can sell our, you know, our like grinder kits or, you know, like you can have accessories, but yes, obviously you can't sell. Well, even, even at the events here in California, we, we can't sell at the events. So we have to get creative of how we drive people to delivery services or into dispensaries. Oh, while you're on site at the, at the event. Oh, okay. Well, how do people even know your brand or recognize your brand that they would even be standing in line for your merch? Because, you know, in these states that are illegal or. Well, and those there's, we, there, we put a big, we put a big pot leaf out on <laughs> in the front of the. Um, They're like, what's that? Of the tent. And that drives a lot of attention. Oh, right? these, that's funny. That's in these, perfect. In these states that don't have never seen that before. And they just like, I got to see what's going on here. Mm, okay. Okay. So that's how you get them in. And then you talk about the brand and show them. Yeah. And they go and we sell, we, we always, uh, at those festivals, we, we find that we sell, um, we sell more, um, more apparel than everyone, but the headliners at those events. Really? Because people want to identify it's like, if they're, if they're very, you know, uh, if they're cannabis consumers and they're hardcore into the scene, like they want to represent it, you know? And it's like, oh, this, this is the brand. This represents me. I have to buy some because I've now got to go out. And it's a cool factor in a way too, especially in the States where it's not legal. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and they're all, they seem to be all about the images on their t-shirts and you know, that kind of stuff anyway, right? Is, is that who Yeah, there's like t-shirts and like we do pins too. Like pins are really big in the metal scene. Patches are really big. And so, yeah, again, it's like, it's just, for us, it's great because we're able to start seeding the market because we're building our brands with the perspective of, it's only a matter of time before things go legal nationally. Um, and so the more awareness that we can have out there about our brand, even in states that aren't necessarily legal today, um, it's going to be that much easier for us to become a national brand, which again, I think most other cannabis brands are going to have a much harder time doing that. That's so true because you're already, I'm sure there's a big word of mouth factor in the, in the heavy metal, um, community. Uh, like you could really play on that. I, I, you know, they stay within their circle, I would imagine. I, I don't know. I'm not a heavy metal person. Uh, I don't enjoy it. But but who, yeah, so who is that consumer? So it's, you know, well, it's a pretty wide range, but in general, at least our, our audience tends to be that like, you know, tw tw 25 to 44, you know, Luckily, I mean, for us, we actually skew very evenly male and female. So I think what a lot of the stereotypes are is that it's a male-driven music genre. But you go to these events, and there's just as many women there as there are men. Um, and so, uh, so it's probably about 50-50 uh, male-female. You know, probably average household income is around, you know, somewhere in the 50 to 75K range. So... That's why most of our products are, um, you know, more on the value side of things. You know, we don't, okay. 
We don't try to try to you know break the bank. We kind of align ourselves. So if you want to think of like an alcohol brand, it's like okay, we're like the Jack Daniels of weed, right? It's like Jack Daniels. It's it's very consistent. It's it's good quality, but it's not going to break your bank. You know what you're getting, and it's not you know it's not the well drink. It's not the bottom you know of mm-hmm. the barrel, but it's and so that's kind of you know what what we um, what we're going after, and so. To your point earlier, like this audience is incredibly loyal. Like if you can get their, you know, trust, then you're going to have a fan for life. Yes. They just seem like that kind of group. Um, So back to the marketing, you were mentioning that you also rely on social media. Is that part of your other strategy? Mm -hmm. I always was thinking that social media is so tough in the cannabis industry because you know, we're restricted to our selling within our states. So, and since it's a global platform and you can't advertise or target a little bit of geo-targeting maybe with hashtags and stuff. So how does that work for you? How do you use it? It is, it is challenging. Again, you know, we're not so bothered by the fact that it's a national or international platform because that's our ultimate goal. Um, It is to reach that, you know, audience. However, the way that we sort of localize things is generally through localized bands and artists. So we work with a lot of baby bands, you know, that are local with certain communities and we leverage their audiences. So it's not even necessarily being posted on, you know, heavy grass official, you know, uh, which is the Instagram for, for heavy grass, but it's on their, their uh, individual uh, uh, sites and they have a lot more leeway with what they can say and do than we can. Oh, perfect. So kind of like an affiliate, are they affiliates? Uh, Yeah, again, we work with them in a lot, a lot of different ways. They're, they're, again, they're, they're like brand ambassadors and, and, and it's, it's really not that, um, it's not that hard to get them involved because again, if, if it speaks to them, if they're consumers, like, and they're like, it's cool. Like, this is for us. Cool. Yeah. This is like, it's like, it's, it's not that hot, right. It's like, Hey, we'll give you a bunch of free swag and stuff. And, you know, and like, they're just excited. Right. And so it's like, Hey, look, I just got this new heavy, heavy grass t-shirt, you know, check it out. You know, it's like, or they, or it's not even that blatant. It's like, literally you'll just go through their feeds and you'll start to see that that they're wearing it on stage or they're wearing it at out oh. with friends. And it's just like, you know, you can't, you, you can't know, beat that. You can buy that, but it's expensive to buy that, right? Uh, kind of advertising. Right, so if you can get someone to do that, that's amazing. Is, is there a certain area of the country that have- They're metal- everywhere. I mean, there are certainly states that, you know, are a little bit more, you know, kind of rock and roll states and communities but even honestly within the states it's kind of like you know there's certain cities that are just known for being you know popular you know uh, rock is very popular uh yeah it, it it's 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 interesting because we are um now starting to expand out so we're getting ready to go into our next state um and that we you know, look, take a look at it again, we take a look, it's like, okay, well, 
how big is the audience in the state? Is this going? And then also like how active is their live music scene, right? And so are we going to be able to again leverage the events? Um, you know, are there a lot of venues that kind of focus on 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 the hard rock, you know, heavy metal scene? And yeah, so. It, that it's part of like when we kind of macro take a step back, you know, we we don't want to pick a music genre or any sort of audience that's too geographically like focused, you know, because we do want brands that. So what, what, what the way we're we're approaching is like we're looking at brands and we're taking a multi-state approach for brands that actually have a multinational appeal, because eventually, eventually, this is going to. You know, you see there's a lot of things happening throughout the world right now. And quite frankly, a lot of countries are moving a lot faster than the U.S. is um, you know, in the legalization front and getting things and legalized. And um, you know, Mexico is about to come on board. Um, they've just made huge strides in Germany, like kind of out of the blue. Um, you know, there are... Um, Colombia is doing a lot of really interesting things. I mean, obviously Canada is already, I mean, it's kind of interesting like that US will be the last country on North America to actually go legal. <laughs> yeah, it's really unbelievable. So what what is the heavy metal scene on the global, global front? Is that it? is way more um, country by country. So like, for instance, when you go to look at like the Latin American scene, um, huge rock audience in Mexico, huge rock audience in Brazil, um, huge rock audience in, um, in Colombia and Chile. But then, you know, actually in Colombia, probably EDM is probably bigger than rock, you know? Um, so, um, you know, been spending some time there recently uh, because there's just a lot of interesting things going on in Colombia where their their government is really getting behind the industry and they're making it uh, they're making it very easy for companies to build out the infrastructure for exporting products. Um, and so we're looking into that, but they're uh, you know also making it very easy for um, Colombia to become really the hub of sort of South America for, for cannabis. So, but yeah, I mean, we're looking when, you know, met, when you look at metal, there's, there's, there's fans throughout the world, but there are certain like, like the UK, a lot of rock fans. Um, oh yeah, that's right. So um, unfortunately yeah. they're a little further behind, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it, Look, it's just a matter of time and, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, you know, to know when, but it's really, it's not if, but when. Right. It, that's right. Right. We just have to hang in there. Are, what's the next state you're, you're, so you're just in California? We're just in California right now. Um, we have not um, publicly announced our next state yet because we're still in um, contract negotiations with our partner in that state. Um, but, uh, mm -hmm. It's another state where there's a big music scene, so we'll, uh, we're very excited about that. And then um, I'm actually going to be at a conference in New York uh, in late May called MJ Unpacked, 
I was going to ask if you're attending. I'll be there as well. Oh, great. We should, we should meet up. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love to say hi. But anyway, I'm, I'm really excited to go to that show. I've never been. Well, this is their, um, the, only their second one, and it's the first one in New York. So I'm excited about that because um, in the Northeast, there are a lot of rock fans, you know. I think brands should really consider New York because New York is the gateway to the world. It's, it's where all the tourists enter the United States, mostly. And we have over 66 million, like pre-COVID, 66 million tourists a year. 66 million. So you're already getting your brand in front of these tourists when it legalizes globally. So I think New York is such a hot market. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited about New York. I'm very excited about MJ Impact. Um, I will be actually there presenting on the money stage uh, because we are going to be announcing a, uh, a new crowdfund that we're going to be doing there. So that's going to be fun. To, that's going to help uh, fuel our expansion you know, into other states. Oh, so how does the crowdfund work? What, what, what platform are you using for the crowdfund? So we're, I'm going to save that for my being on stage at MSA Unpacked. Oh, oh that's gotcha, my, gotcha. Okay, that's sure. sort of my, um, that's where we're going to officially sort of publicly, you know, launch all the details okay. around the, the crowdfund. Um, okay. But yeah, we're, I'm just excited. I've, um, I've raised capital for a number of different companies and a number of joys, but I've never done a crowdfund before. So um, I think we're going to do very well because you know, it's, you know, music and cannabis, it's going to be a pretty, like, it's easy to target right. the audience, you know, go after, you know, find the audience. And I think it's going to be a pretty fun offering, you know, that people will get excited about. Right. And they'll, they'll want to buy your product. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to do it. Um, I'm excited. Did you go to the MJ Unpacked event in Vegas, the first one they had? I did. Yes. He weeds out all the other people that, that just want to go and check out other brands. It's really just investors and investors, brands, brands. and retailers, which for yeah. us is perfect because we're brands and we always want to meet more retailers. We always want to meet more investors. So right, so it's right. really, it's you know, I've been really, I was really happy that, uh, yeah, George Gage um, and his wife um, run that um conference and we're big supporters you know we we were part of the first one and we will continue to support mm. i did interview george actually about a month ago oh great uh, yeah so that's i got to hear all about mj unpacked and so it seems really exciting oh are there any competitors coming up that because you do you you did nail this and are, are other people kind of jumping on the bandwagon and taking your approach that you see? I haven't seen too much of it yet, but I, I, I will be surprised if, if there's not um, competition coming out. And honestly, I, you know, I, I welcome it, you know, I mean, because it's, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity out there, right? It's not a zero sum game um, when it comes to um, creating these targeted brands and, um, yeah, but currently, uh, no, we don't. We don't have any direct, like direct competitors, to the best of my knowledge. Certainly not here in California. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen any. So uh, I guess the last question. I'm just curious. So you you don't manufacture yourself. You just partner with farms and extraction. Right. We so we don't hold any licenses. Um, you know, and we 
purposely done that so that we can be uh, a lot more flexible to make sure that we're always able to stay true to the brand. Um, because I think that's part of the reason why a lot of these brands get created the way they are is that, you know, they are part, you know, they're attached to a cultivation facility or a manufacturing facility. And so, you know, whatever's getting, you know, produced out of there, you know, needs to be branded. And so, you know, versus like, you know what, if we don't like the quality or if things aren't kind of up to uh, par for us, then, you know, we can make the decision to, um, you know, partner elsewhere. Uh, and, and it also gives us a lot, it, it's pretty burdensome, you know, the, the, um, the amount of uh, money that it costs to maintain these licenses and everything that, you know, you really, you got to feed the beast. So we want to go, you know, into multiple states. So it's a lot easier for us to do that of just being really an, you know, an IP holding company where we go and license our brands, you know, on a state-by-state basis. But it seems like there's so many challenges with going state-by-state and finding those partners to, you know, produce your brand. Um, Are are there any big challenges that you're finding um, that are, big hurdles for doing this that you're as you're looking around to yeah well look it's it's certainly um it's not the easiest uh uh way to go about business i mean we solely have to do it because of the the regulatory um you know framework that's out there so you basically do have to go and reinvent the supply chain you know state by state which is cumbersome it's laborious uh and the way that we're approaching it is that we're working, uh, we're working with partners who um, are, are I, I have a team of advisors that have done this with other brands, you know, so that I've got been able to pre-vet, you know, because I literally just don't have the time to go and really spend the time on boots on the ground to really understand like, well, is this the right, you know, partner for us. Um, So, you know, and then, you know, obviously there's just the challenges of, you know, you can't 100% duplicate the products, you know, because there's no interstate commerce, right? So it's like, it's gotta be produced or, you know, grown or manufactured in that state. Um, So we've created SOPs that really focus on characteristics that are gonna be consistent and, outcomes that are going to be consistent and really that's the best that we can do um you know because there's no other way to do it yeah. right um <laughs> i know and, and, and like you said it's not like a it's not a super craft product you know so you've got to hit that right price point with the you know the grower i guess you know however they manufacture it and all those little details around all the the plant itself so yeah it's pretty crazy Wow. So that was cool. Well, thank you, Keeve. I think that that was really great. I really nice to meet you and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And let's definitely uh, keep in touch and make sure we get together uh, in, in uh, New York for MP Unpacked. Yeah, I'll, I'll check you out on the money stage. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll search you out on the money there stage. You go. There you go. Good luck. I hope you get something. Okay, great. I'll see you in New York. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com.
Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.